0: Welcome to the Imagine a Place podcast. I'm your host, Doug Shapiro, and I'm searching for voices that can help inspire a more creative and courageous youth. What is the new variable you need to include in your workplace planning equation? Well, today... Melissa Hanley will answer that question and many more. In fact, she'll answer a question that'll give you a good laugh today. She's the co-founder and partner at Blitz Architecture and Interiors. She's written some awesome articles on workplace. And I must say, her language around designing more meaningful places for work is absolutely going to inform my future workplace conversations. So yeah, good stuff in here. Uh, and as I hope you've come to expect from many of my interviews, there's great advice at the end. We're going to start though with a brief three-minute conversation about her history. It's really cool. She grew up on a Christmas tree farm. Yeah, so if you live near San Francisco and you celebrate Christmas, you're about to get a new tradition. I'm trying something different today. Excellent. I'm sitting. Usually I'm standing.
1: <laughs> okay.
0: <laughs> I felt like getting cozy. Researching you made me feel at ease.
1: Oh, that's lovely. Well, I'm a huge fan of the podcast. I've been on a binge for, for quite some time. Um, yeah, no, I think I think it's really special what you've created.
0: Thank you. I, I appreciate that. Let's just kind of get into your history because, uh, you know, Christmas tree farm has never been so popular as it has in the last, uh, I don't know, since Christmas 2021, I suppose
1: we're having a renaissance. Yes, it's back. Real trees are back.
0: <laughs> yeah, so let's start there. I mean, what was what was that like growing up amongst <laughs> uh, those baby trees?
1: I, I will say that you know the the farm, the, the family farm, has been in the family since 1952. So it's been around for a while. So my entire childhood was spent planting little baby trees, watching them grow up, and having random people come to our house every year. And yeah, it, it's. Um, it really is magical. It sounds magical and it really was magical. And it's a very atypical lifestyle.
0: So, so planting baby trees, watching them grow up, what's this time frame? you know, between like a tree going in the ground and then becoming a usable Christmas tree.
1: About seven years. Yeah. Anywhere from like seven to eight years, you know, it's a commitment. These are not, you know, an annual crop that takes a long time. It's a lot of labor, um, there's no money in Christmas trees. Let me tell you that just from the get. This is not where the millions are made, <laughs> but it's uh, definitely a pa- passion project for my family.
0: That is really cool. I know in livestock, they the the parents or you know the owners always say don't name the. Don't name the animals. Did, <laughs> was it, is it that way with the trees? Like, don't did you name have the favorite? tree because somebody
1: will cut it down. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, we we plant about twenty five hundred trees a year, so it, um, we're we're okay with with you cutting down the trees. In fact, you invite <laughs> it.
0: <laughs> That's really cool. I, I guess I'm curious on what just that seven year window has taught you because. Not a lot of people do something now for seven years later like that. The whole concept of that, I feel like, is it's just super rare.
1: Yeah, I I think that um, I, I like to think of it almost as like a generational approach to to just life and and your commitment to a property. We had to close one year. My dad had reconstructive surgery on his knee and it was like, I just I just can't. Um, and it was so disruptive to like the flow of the year and to the engagements we have with people, and we had people calling me like, well, what do I do? like what do I do if I don't come to the farm for my tree? <laughs> And you realize like you know it's such a small part of an annual tradition, but it is still like an important part of an annual tradition I mean and we've had people have marriage proposals on the farm, we've actually had a few weddings and i I love the idea of being a tiny little marker in a life history
0: I love that, and i I will drop a link to, if your farm has a website, great it does. I'll drop a link. Perfect.
1: Don't judge the website too badly. It was built by yours truly. So, you know, not a web designer, <laughs>
0: <laughs> but you are a designer. We'll give I you am that. A designer. Um, let's get into that part of your life because, um, another thing that drew me to you, obviously your background was, was interesting, but, um, there was an article you wrote about time and how mm-hmm. time is the new variable in the workplace design equation. And I thought that was super interesting um, because it wasn't it was I, I w- earth shattering, right? It was like, oh, it makes sense. But why Why has it been left out for this long? Uh, because it's not like all of a sudden we were hybrid. I mean, let's face it, we've always been in and out of the 100%. office. 100%. Um, so let's, walk, well, first walk us through, I guess that statement, what that means and how you got there.
1: Yeah. So the the thing that I found really frustrating in workplace design is that it assumes all the variables are constant. It assumes that the headcount is constant, their functions are constant, the requirements are constant, the space is constant. Um, And that's just not true. Like, we know that our lives are fluid. One of the biggest conversations we have with clients is about utilization. And we recognize that utilization is not 100%, 100% of the time. Uh, So let's take advantage of that variable being sort of fungible and start to apply that into our planning. Um, And we've been able to, uh, in applying this to our, our projects, we're seeing like huge inefficiencies in space. And like, why are we spending all of this resource, you know, time, money, space on, on something that is not going to be fully utilized or frankly enjoyed. Like Mm. something we're really thinking about now is critical mass in space and that you really need critical mass to have like the energy and excitement and, you know, you can build the most awesome space and nobody, if one person in it, it doesn't feel good. Like it doesn't really draw people back. So how do we allow or really support critical mass? And part of that is right-sizing space, like from the get- making sure that it it feels full feels good has good energy
0: yeah yeah right sizing it makes sense i mean it's almost like that critical mass equation is a derivative of like there's like a people per square foot kind of thing going on there i mean i I try to avoid the combination of those words but let's face it like two people in the right space is is critical mass (laughs) but two people two people in a
1: massive space is just awkward but if you start with just like people per square foot, like that equation has been around for 125 years and it hasn't evolved. Like that's, that's still like the, how many, I I did a a presentation to a bunch of brokers a couple months ago and they're like, so what you're telling me is 178 per square. I was like, that's that's the opposite (laughs) of what I'm telling you. That is not what I'm telling you. (laughs) Like, no, 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 no. Um, But you know, there is some nuance. You really have to dig into like the human the human side of this and how folks actually will behave in space Mm. and how they actually like want to behave in space. Um, and that, you know, that requires a little more, a little more depth to the variable or to the equation.
0: It does. So, um, when you put this article together, did you have a client in mind? I mean, what inspired you to say, all right, hey, we need to, you know, we need to rethink, think what we're doing here.
1: Yeah. So we, we actually sort of conceptualize this whole um equation and we actually we we wrote a little algo for it um and uh we did it for a venture capital company that we're working with in san francisco and they have a really transient population and a a fairly diverse population in terms of their functions within the org and uh, you know one of their biggest complaints is this lack of critical mass and that they Mm -hmm. were you know i've got half my team in copenhagen half my team's in london the other half is like god knows where and what are we you know what are we what Are we building for because it doesn't feel good? Like they have this beautiful polished space and it doesn't feel good. Uh, so we, we applied this to them and we're actually able to take down their square footage by like a little shy of 20 percent. Uh, which you know, San Francisco rents that's big money. Yeah. <laughs> that's San Francisco through the and that's really big money. Um, so I, I mean, I know our, our poor broker was just like, really, come on, but uh, <laughs> it. <laughs> Yeah.
0: last time last time they recommend you
1: <laughs> yeah they're like forget it you're never you're never helping us again um but i i think the ultimate and actually we're just going to be finishing construction on this project in another month or so so i'm really excited to see all like the post-occupancy data on it
0: that's awesome so i want to i want to jump into kind of what what is the output of this so like um you have um you have people which is sort of a Constant, and then you have um, time, which is that variable that that applies to people and then changes what you need based on. So you get like a kind of a new picture of of the space you need. But like, how does that actually change the space itself? Knowing that, like, there are times where there might be more people than you expect. There might be times when there's less people than you expect, and then there's everything in between. So how do you plan a space? Like, what are some of the more tactical ways that that affects space?
1: Yeah, the, the, first, um, the first the first, first thing is it affects the program, obviously. So like the, the parts and pieces that go in, into the space when we're doing the planning, it, it absolutely affects like how much of the stuff that we're going to build um, and how we're going to build it. And then I really like, uh, I got really into like gardening, you know, at, at small scale over the pandemic, uh, cool. not at eight acres, but at, you know. <laughs> front yard. Um, And I realized that I discovered that landscape planners and designers actually uh, do multiple plans. They do like a planting plan, they do a five-year plan, and then they do like the ultimate maturity, depending on the type of space that could be, you know, five years, 10 years, whatever it is. And I really liked this idea of iterative planning over time and say like, okay, so if we map out day one and it, and it does these functions, how can it, function on day two how can it function in year two if we know things about a company's evolution which frankly is such a crystal ball i feel like no company at this point in time can really predict evolution with any certainty so all the more reason to sort of build in the variable studies and say like all right how how could this shift and morph without having to call me like don't don't rely on walls windows doors to shift because that's the hardest thing Um, the easiest thing to shift is people so if we can shift people and then allow them to shift their space in meaningful ways that i think is where is where we can really like uh, allow for this ever-changing variable so tactically, that means we rely on like a lot of non-architectural solutions to our spaces. Um, mm. And then a lot of training, like a lot of like owner um, training uh, to use those spaces in the back. So our, our projects really result in like not only construction documents, and specifications, but also like, welcome to your space. This is how you use this. You know, this is the new world of, of space.
0: It makes It makes sense. I mean, I think maybe for a long time space was generic enough that the kind of how to in space was implied. I think well, you're onto I mean, something that the, the idea like like if I'm ha- I'm handing you a tool it's almost like it's almost like I'm handing you a piece of equipment and it's not like a hammer anymore. It's like this thing that has buttons and you know like is extremely useful in multiple <laughs> ways and you know like it needs some training.
1: I Completely agree. I had a client uh, tell me once, he said, I've had a desk since I was five. So if you're telling me I don't have my own desk, like I don't, I don't know what to do with that. And that's totally fair. You know, like if you've, if you've had a desk since you were five and now you don't have that, that's not your, you know, home base. It's the onus is on us to say like, well, here's the new world. Um, and I, I, I joke a little bit that, you know, instead of really making Swiss already nice spaces, we, we really need to think about like Swiss chocolate. Like it needs to be delicious. Mm. It needs to be super attractive. <laughs> it needs to be like, you know, sort of, uh, enticing to people.
0: Yeah, yeah. Even just thinking of it as a tool does it a little bit injustice, you know? Uh, I I agree. It's it's uh, it's an experience. It's it's
1: it can I be. I kind of hate that tasty. word to be honest, though. Like experience. I, the, the experience, like yes, everything's an experience. Going to the dump is an experience. So like, <laughs> is it like is it a positive an experience? A meaningful? Like, what are we, What is? What are we actually trying to engineer here? Um, mm. and like, what is the business case for that? that engineering too. Like if it's beautiful, but it doesn't support what the company or the firm or the educational facility is trying to do, then like great. It looks gorgeous on the cover of a magazine, but who cares?
0: I like that. We can just trash the word experience. I think we should describe it better. So let's replace experience with something else.
1: Mm, okay. Now you're asking okay. for a lot early on a Friday morning.
0: <laughs> you got this.
1: <laughs> um, it's a little, we've been talking a lot about like high value engagements at the firm. um, And the reason that people come together are for high value engagements. That's, that's why anyone's going to leave the comfort of their home is to do something that has high value. It's either high value because it's really fun and we want to do that, or I'm going to get further faster by getting, I mean the work we can do in our studio when we're in person just so blows out of the water, what we can do when we're doing it over zoom or Google Hangouts or whatever. So further faster is is definitely a high value engagement. Um, but it, I, I think that sort of engagement also says there has to be a, a counterpart to it. You know, there has to be like two pieces that come together to lock, to create that engagement experience can be really solo. Um, and I, you know, if you want a solo experience, stay home. That I'd <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah,
0: that makes up. sense. Um, I, I love this high value engagement. So I wrote that down. I feel like man, that, that is something that we should be striving for. Like if we're going to spend the money and we're going to build this thing for you. Right. Yeah. That's what it should do.
1: Well, that's part of
0: the expectation.
1: You know, the time variable too really looks at like one of the first things we do are what are the, um, you know, the engagements that have the most predictive uh, positive outcomes for our business. So if we know that, you know, collaboration feels good, but doesn't actually change the nature of your business, then we don't focus on that in design and that's not where we should be putting the you know the value of space and the value of time or um so we we really do try to get those sort of predictive outcomes with with this as well and that requires more of you know business analysis which uh, can be argued whether business uh, architects should be wandering into that part of the world but um, I I do think that if we're not asking the critical questions about the why behind the what, you know, if you tell me you need 10 conference rooms, my first question is going to be why. Like why why do you need those things? Well, you know, the meeting rooms are always booked. Okay, well why is that? Like why what are they trying to solve for? Is it planning? Is it collaboration? Are we like what is the what is the spark that needs to happen in these spaces and let's design for that rather than like the thing that you already know, the wrapper that you already know
0: yeah yeah i i want to get into that most positive outcomes because I, I actually have some thinking around that if if your puppy wants is it a puppy
1: i'm so sorry i was just slacking my head he head to be the, like please deal with a barking dog if, oh my god you put him
0: on your lap he's welcome to come join oh my the god ball. the
1: snorting it's a i have two french bulldogs and the snorting you would just your poor listeners would have it for them are you sure <laughs> do you mind if i just go let them out real quick i'm you, so sorry you.
0: I just love dogs i hope she brings her dog up into the interview that'll be so fun (sighs) oh here she comes no no dog darn all right well while you catch (laughs) your breath uh i was thinking about this most positive outcomes and i i i thought about it too we were kind of one of the things we were doing as we were um we look at our furniture like a hundred different ways. Right. And so one of the ways we looked at it was like the number of people doing activity, the kinds of activities. And we started to just map that cross section. Right. And, um, and started to look at all the ways different people work. And I thought like in in a, um, I relate things a lot to sports and
1: we're called blitz. So we do too.
0: Well, there you go. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, in, In a, in like a sports season, There are always, like you can always pinpoint like moments that meant a lot, you know, like it was an impactful speech that the coach gave, or, you know, it was the time a teammate did something like really special for the team or whatever, you know, like there's always like moments you can pinpoint. And I kind of feel like it's the same way. Like if you looked at an entire work year, like where do those most impactful moments happen where there's like the big idea? Or maybe like somebody for the first time feels like work family. Maybe they felt isolated and for the first time they met someone and they decided to stay instead of leave. Like that was a super important moment that happened. So like what's the setting for that moment? So it's it's almost like you work backwards from those high impact moments and then think about the settings that those high impact moments would happen in. And we, if we emphasized those settings You know, that would, that would be where we spend our energy. Unfortunately, I feel like for years, the RFP would come out and it would be like, everybody price out your best workstation and task chair. Nothing else really matters. Just toss that over the fence and someone else can deal with it. And, and it was like, well, I guarantee those moments didn't happen. Any of them didn't happen at a workstation.
1: I a hundred percent agree. I think it's super reductive when you start looking at components rather than the collection of things that make up that, that setting or that, you know, I'll use it experience, uh, that I, I keep coming back to, especially in the, in the world of furniture and it, that a table is a surface with four legs and you can slice that a lot of different ways, but basically a table is a surface with four legs. What happens, what happens around the table or what's important is what happens around that table. So if it's going to be a high impact in, environment and a high impact experience, Better be a damn good table like and, <laughs> and we really ought to think about what's wrapping that table and the i i and it's so much it's so much more than that, and that's what really like fries me when we start looking at the commoditization of either design or product or space um is that it's it's missing the x factor it's missing the like the thing that sparks the human creativity and we have to remember like we're squishy humans we're not like there's there's no um uh, way to predict really how squishy humans are going to uh perceive something and we're like a very a very diverse variety of human squishy humans coming into space <laughs> um and so i i the the reduction i think is actually pretty insulting to the ultimate people that are to come and use Use these spaces. It like it yeah. really suggests that they're a bunch of robots, and we know exactly how they're going to behave. And so, like, let's just put them in a row of desks and say, you know, type go. <laughs>
0: <laughs> We're squishy humans. I thought that was super interesting. Oh yeah, uh, totally. Yeah, yeah. That's just such a good choice of words. It just captures the spirit of what you're saying so well. Um, okay, well, that was really fun exploration. Um, I want to get into maybe some of the the projects that you've done because you've done some pretty cool stuff right thank you like yeah L'Oreal, right like famous cosmetic brand um have do you have any like good stories from projects that you love to tell where you know together with a client you had this epiphany moment or maybe just something funny that happened
1: um <laughs> i know this this question does come up and i always feel like this is when i blank on the and like at two in the morning i'm gonna be like oh i should have told Doug about like the moment that somebody asked for the slide and the rainbow and the pony all of which has happened by the way like that we've done uh 22 foot t-rex in a space like uh, it just like just random stuff inside of buses circus themed stuff we just released an evil lair like uh it's um, just based on like your favorite super villain (laughs) what like where does your favorite super villain want to play like Parcheesi, like this is your space. It's um, funny. Yeah. So it's, it, we've done a lot of really wonderful things, but the, the projects I think that I, I remember the most are really about like the connections with people or the, the really awesome client who had the crazy vision or that really pushed or, um, you know, texts at two in the morning with like, Melissa, I saw this thing and blah, blah, blah. It's <laughs> like, you're in Tokyo. Stop texting me. <laughs> like <laughs> 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 um, And, uh, that's what really the, the clients that are really committed are the ones that make their great projects so like we had a, a very committed client on L'Oreal and I think that really shows in the project a woman who um, had been at the at the company for 36 years she was oh, uh, wow. described as being um, uh, the Peggy from off uh, Mad Men like started at the typing pool and, and moved her way up and now she's the senior president of the world and uh is just like this woman I wanna be when I grow up, such a badass. And uh she had a vision for what this West Coast HQ was going to be and um talked constantly about like seducing people back to work. Mm. And uh I just her language in general was so evocative and and just uh we had a conversation with her where she said, Melissa, I have bought my car for the West Coast. She, she's splitting her time between New York and, and West Coast. Uh-huh. And she said, it's a Tesla. It's white. I was like, great. Uh, and she's like, but it has a white interior because it matters. Oh, I, I like, love that. Okay. <laughs> I mean, I guess it does matter if you really. Yeah. Okay. Good. Good. <laughs>
0: that, what a fun client. Oh, my, oh my God. God.
1: She's amazing. Like, just absolutely incredible. Um, yeah. Just. We're, we're really lucky because we get to work with companies that are reinventing the world, that are reinventing like the way we buy food, the way we communicate with one another, like all, all aspects of it. So we get to sit across the table from these people and say like, how the heck did you do it? Like, how did you have this idea? What did the garage look like? Like, what did the you know? What did that spark look like? Who told you no? How did you overcome the no? Um, and I mean, oftentimes those early conversations are not at all about architecture, but more about like the spirit of the company, and the spirit of the founder, yeah. and. How does that sort of penetrate everything else about the business? And hopefully it still does. I think that's the biggest struggle we see with our clients is they, you know, go from being little enclaves of of kind of creative geniuses to these massive companies with thousands of, of people. How do you still keep that spark of creativity that's so magic in the beginning? And that's, um, that's certainly a challenge, I think.
0: It is. And I think any owner would view their space as sort of that, um, visual cue that body language that's like hey we're still we're still that though we're still those people that we that we started off
1: as it's the biggest tension of like we know we can't sit on beanbag chairs anymore because now we're 30 yeah. and it hurts <laughs> <laughs> and like, but we still want to be the people that can sit on beanbag chairs <laughs> the, yeah the, the transition is funny that's
0: funny that was a very west coast comment right there very very true
1: i should also say i'm such in a bubble and i was having this conversation last night at dinner actually that like we're, we're obviously in san francisco we have offices in um in los angeles denver and st louis uh which i believe you're in st louis aren't you i, am, yeah. I think all roads lead to st louis so that could be a whole other conversation
0: <laughs> that's Since totally we- good
1: <laughs> so many famous people from st louis so many fabulous brands from st louis um and it's uh, we're, we we do have a very West Coast bias, I think, and what we experience out here um, impacts a lot of the, the way we think. And it's very good to get the heck out of the West Coast so that we can see what the rest of the world is doing and realize that the rest of the world is not experiencing a lot of the same challenges that we are here with return to work. Like people are back. This is not like a fight like it is out here. Um, if you've been to San Francisco recently, you probably feel that it's not recovered yet, and that's true. yes.
0: And you know, yeah. I was I was actually at a. Uh, a design firm architecture and design firm yesterday and did a presentation on communication and creativity and then we did like a happy hour afterwards so the presentation was virtual to the whole firm but then we did a happy hour afterwards and there were you know 30 40 people together i mean it was, it was probably like look at your face like you're yeah. so surprised and part of me was i was like okay i didn't know how it was going to be you know because i hadn't done something really in st louis city I've been in other places and had seen kind of, yeah, that you're right. People are back, but certainly now St. Louis is, is, is in that mode too. All right. I had a neat opportunity recently and I was able to interview our CEO and I thought, what are some great questions I could ask? And I spent some time on these. So I'm going to toss them to you and see how you do.
1: Oh, man, this is deep end of the pool. The CEO of OFS versus like, okay, all right.
0: You got this. You got this. Uh, <laughs> no, this is about you, so you can't get it wrong. Um, all right. If I followed you around for a day, what's one word I would hear you say over and over again? <laughs> <laughs> what a great answer.
1: It's my favorite word.
0: That's so awesome.
1: <laughs> all day long, uh, yeah. It's a,
0: it's a noun it's a verb it's you it's know everything. It's, a feeling, it's everything yeah
1: it's positive it's negative it's just it covers everything
0: <laughs> what a great answer uh, i'm guessing okay. that's
1: not what your ceo said
0: no it's not <laughs> <laughs> he actually said let's do this and i was like oh, oh, that's good word. Ah, yeah he definitely missed the question there no um, he's, he's just
1: a rule breaker see that's that's like vanguard you gotta
0: <laughs> yeah um all right here's another one. What do you wish people knew about you?
1: Oh um that i'm super introverted actually. Mm. I am i call myself a high functioning introvert. I hate being really out and about with lots of people and big crowds and yet it's like a good chunk of my job to do that. Um but it that's that's probably the hardest part of what i do.
0: So like when you finish one of those networking events or whatever, and then you hop in an Uber or your car back home. You're just like, ah, it takes
1: a day to recover. Yeah. It's, it's, it's tough. My happy place would be sitting in a corner, working on a project, you know, drafting away and, and listening to some really horrible jazz. Like that's my, that's my favorite, favorite place.
0: Let's talk about that for a minute because, um, I, I can, I can be the same. I go in and out. You know, I go in and out. I, I draw energy sometimes from a big crowd. But then the moment I'm alone, I just feel, I almost get goosebumps. I'm like, oh, I can relax, you know. Um, I think a lot of people are, are struggling with that tension between those two things. Because a lot of people are most comfortable by themselves. Totally. But we know it's important to have social interaction the way you dive in and, you know, come back out. I just wonder if we're going to have to try to re-educate ourselves to, you know, make sure we go against our comfort zone at times just to get the social. Because I mean, like I'm in my basement a lot, you know. It's a
1: great basement. I have
0: to make up. Thank you. I have to make a point of getting out. I have to make a point of it.
1: Yeah. It's I I think it's the thing that um, maybe is a little misleading about leaders and firms is that you know well they're obviously extrovert. they're obviously like people people or they're obviously like just naturally like that's their thing um it's a heck of a lot of work for me to get out and go and do that stuff and you know i got to do it it's part of part of my role um and i i would really hope that folks know that you know it's not you don't have to be born with it you know like what is that mm. Revlon or maybelline you know maybe it's Maybelline, maybe she's born with it. It's Maybelline people. Let, let me tell you, like, it's Maybelline.
0: Um, there's a question I ask everybody that's about career advice. What's the best advice you've ever received or the best advice that you just love to give young designers?
1: Um, it, it's really it comes down to like 10,000 hours, you know, to achieve to expertise and there's just no replacing it. And I am a super impatient individual and I remember myself as, you know, 26 year old Melissa really pushing against like the confines of a role and say like, I really want more, but I was not ready. Like I wasn't ready. And the folks who I, were, I was working for at that point was like, you're not ready. It was like, okay, in hindsight, no, it wasn't. Um, and then when we founded the company back in, in 2009, i uh, 26 at that point. My partner is 33. Uh, we were laid off along with a good chunk of the firm. The firm went from 75 people to 22 people in one day. And oh uh, yeah, it was it was bad. Um, and so we found ourselves you know, without employment. It was 40% unemployment in A&E in San Francisco at that point. So there were no jobs to be had. Uh, so we had to create our own. And that was really like school of hard knocks for I mean, I would say it's been almost 14 years and it still is a little bit school with hard knocks, uh, wow. but there's just no replacing the doing like you have to put in the time and the energy and the commitment to digging into the thing that's painful and not fun. And you just got to do it because that's how you get really good at it. And that's how you gain expertise. And that's how you move on to the next thing. And if you try to leapfrog any of that hard work, it shows up later. Like it absolutely will show up later. Wow. So,
0: I love that. Don't, it, you know, you can't replace any of the doing. You gotta do uh, it. You gotta do it. You gotta do it. And it takes time. That's, uh, that's great advice. Fantastic advice.
1: Um, I mean, it's not sexy, right? Like that's not like the, it's not. but it's, that's, it's the hard work, right? You, it's yeah. it kind of, maybe it just comes back to the agrarian roots, uh, pun intended, um, that, you know, you can't, you can't leapfrog the planting or the irrigation or the pruning. Like if any of those steps get missed, then you don't have a tree.
0: Yeah, there's there's no six minute abs
1: for a career. No. (laughs) There's no six minute abs for career. I love that. (laughs) The four hour work week, I think Tim Ferriss lied. I don't know. I've read that book. Yeah, I I'm
0: sorry. Yeah. It was he he, he sold a lot of copies because everybody wants that.
1: (laughs) Of course they do. Of course they do. Come on.
0: Yeah. Four day work week. Okay. I get on board with that. (laughs) Um. All right. I have another question as we wrap up. Was there a question that you hoped I was asked?
1: Oh, there are a lot of questions I hope you wouldn't ask and you haven't. So that's been great. Um.
0: <laughs> Give me one of those.
1: <laughs> no, thank you. <laughs> uh, I, I don't think you've luckily caught me too far off guard. Um, the question I'd hope you'd ask, I guess it's the thing that maybe I'd, I'd like to draw a connection from. And I don't know if I'm just feeling a little sentimental at the moment, but I think that upbringing has such an impact on who we are as we as we venture out to the world, good or bad, you know, good or bad. Um, mm. And I think that I just was really lucky to have a very bizarrely wonderful, magical kind of upbringing <laughs> um, that... Allowed for writing on the walls, destroying the furniture, rebuilding things, painting things like there's just this very hands on DIY culture that comes from when you work, when you grow up in kind of that environment, you have to like, there's just, you know, you're not mm-hmm. calling the plumber, you are the plumber, you figure it out, like you need. And that has never really left me. And I think that that has really affected the way that I look at projects and the way that I look at work and the way I look at my business. It's like, um, and sometimes to my detriment, like I tried to build our first server when we started out, which was like a really terrible, <laughs> and expensive mistake.
0: You might be the plumber, but you're not the IT, I'm not
1: the IT person at all. Uh, so lesson learned there. Um, but definitely there's this, like, all right, let's 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 see what we can figure out and how we can make it work and what we can do with very little. And we've always approached our work that way. Like, what can we do with very little? How can we make more of something than just, like, rather than just buying, like, a super expensive solution off the shelf, like, how do we make more out of less? And. I think that actually lends spaces or lends a a character to spaces that feels way more accessible to people when they come in. Like, they feel like there's a bit of craft, a bit of human, a bit of accessibility to it. Like, it's not so polished that I can't touch the walls or like, God forbid, I move the post-its, you know. Like, I think there's just something about that human connection that is really important and becoming... Required now, um as we sort of re-enter society and get close to people and their cooties, and like recognizing <laughs> that it's it's humans, it's squishy humans, and it's going to be okay. And it's going to be okay.
0: I love that. I absolutely love it. um I just love the the way you talk about space and the goals you have for it, you know, and and what you hope what you hope for it. So I I just it's a fantastic interview.
1: Oh, thank you, Doug. It was a lot of fun finally meeting you. I feel like I've, I feel like I know you a little bit. I've listened to so many of your podcasts.
0: Now (laughs) I feel like I probably know you better than you know me, which was my goal. Well, there you go. For more design stories, visit us at OFS.com slash imagine a place. From OFS, I'm Doug Shapiro. Thanks for listening.